Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. If you're using the uh, Bibles and the seats in front of you, that is on page 785. 785. <clears throat> so we are in a series on this prophet. Uh, Pastor Jeff preached last week very helpfully of Habakkuk's two complaints, uh, focusing on God's sovereignty as he brings whatever he brings to us for our discipline. Uh, God will discipline his people. He's going to use those wicked, more wicked than his people to discipline them. And Habakkuk is complaining about these things. He first complains of God allowing wickedness among his people. Why do you make me see iniquity in 1-3? Why do you make me see wrong? The law is paralyzed. God's answer is that he's going to bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to discipline his people's sin. And Habakkuk's second complaint, beginning in chapter 1, verse 12, is that, God, how can you use those more wicked than us to discipline us? Aren't you holy? Verse 17, then, is his final complaint. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Are you just going to let Babylon continue on in their murderous, evil, unjust ways? This week, he begins, after his last word of complaint, in chapter 2, verse 1, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. And he says, I'll wait on your word. And he contrasts that with pride. So we're going to look at these things. Let me read verses 1 to 4 and then we'll pray. I will take my stand at my watch posts and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, what I will answer concerning my complaint. That last line, what I will answer concerning my plaint, is complaint is, is Habakkuk saying... I, I'll see what God will do to rebuke me for my questioning. That's where he's come to. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Let's pray. Father, we, as your people, strive to do what is just and right. And so do not leave us to oppressors. Give us, even now as we hear your word, a pledge of your good intent towards us. Our eyes long to see your salvation, to see the fulfillment of all of your promises. And so please deal with us now according to your steadfast love and teach us your statutes. May we give considerations to your precepts and learn to hate every false way. In Christ's name, amen. So you'll notice I was planning on preaching all of chapter 2 this week, but studying it, these first four verses are enough. And so we'll finish out chapter 2. If you remember to how we kicked off these sermons two weeks ago, Habakkuk is written such that the first bit corresponds to the last bit, and then the second bit corresponds to the second to the last bit, and the third to the last bit, you know, and it goes all the way to the center, and the center is 2-4. Habakkuk, 
Habakkuk wrote the letter, the prophecy, very intentionally to draw your attention to the center. And that center is 2-4. The, the soul uh, is puffed up and is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And so it's all going there. So Habakkuk has made his second complaint. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he's now going to wait for God's answer. So Habakkuk isn't just doing this for himself. He is here representing God's faithful people. He's representing Israel, you, and I. And he is withdrawing to the tower to await the Lord. He is content now, having made his complaint, having heard God's answer, having complained again, to wait on the Lord. And God's answer is to comfort his people by preparing them to wait for his word. So we'll learn something in verses 2 and 3 about God's word. It's a plain word. It's a truthful word. It's always a word that we will be fulfilled. And he wants to comfort you, to encourage your faith, to wait for his word. And then verse 4, the pinnacle of this book, the point of it is there's only two ways either pride or faith. Either lifting yourself up, either just depending on what you think, ignoring God's word or having faith for God's word. What I want to do though is in 2.1, I want to start with how did Habakkuk get there? What did he go through to get to 2.1? And in 2.1, I will take my stand at the watch post, station myself at the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me, what I will have to answer for. How did Habakkuk get to this place of, I'll wait? How do you get to that place of, I'll wait? It's a tough place to get to. In chapter 1, Habakkuk, complained. He saw unrighteousness. He saw injustice. He went to God and said, how long shall I cry to you for help? So he begins by impatience. And in chapter 2, verses 1, he's gotten to a place of patience. He begins with complaining of having to wait to now saying, okay, I'll wait. How did he get there? He got there by being honest with God. He got there by complaining. By saying in shocking terms what was going on in his soul. Why do you, God, make me look on iniquity? How long? Why do you, God, make me... Why, why do you idly sit by and look on wrong? Why is your law paralyzed? Why do you never bring justice? And then after God's answer that he's going to bring the dreaded, wicked, awful, murderous, violent, immoral Babylonians on, how can you who are pure eyes idly look on traitors and remain silent while the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than him? Habakkuk gets to the place of waiting by being honest with God of what's going on inside of him. So this is, I believe, 
one of the main things, one of the main lessons I want you, I pray for you that you'll get from this prophet. One of the problems that has always been in Christianity with us is we feel like being a good Christian means just like not being honest with God. Not declaring to Him in very truthful, honest, forthright terms our anger, your disappointment, your frustration, your sorrow. We think that being a good Christian means denying these things, denying this reality. To be a kind of Christian that God loves is to be the kind of Christian who lies about what's going on in the world and in your life. So many of you have been frustrated at what's going on in politics. Maybe there was cheating that went on the election. And now God has put someone over our country who is wicked. And how many of you have shook your fist at God and said, God, why would you put somebody like that in charge of our country? Are you unjust? Do you not know what this is going to do to your people? Do you not care about the unborn? Do we pour out our laments, our angers, our frustrations? Or you've been frustrated by the response of our government and our civil authorities to the virus? Do we have the faith for this kind of honesty before God? Or maybe you have financial trouble, or maybe you've lost loved ones. And we think spirituality means just packing it down. Just packing it down. And we, it comes out. It always comes out. Typically will come out in lampooning those nearest us or Facebook or something, but why not take it to the Lord? Why not take it to your Heavenly Father? Why not shake your fist at Him? Why not learn how to do this? I think that's one of the real godly purposes Habakkuk can serve in your life. This past summer, we started a, what I hope will be an annual tradition of preaching through 10 Psalms of summer. We did Psalms 1 through 10 last year, this summer upcoming, and the plan is 11 through 20. And in uh, those psalms, we'll meet this kind of language. And last summer, we met Psalm 4. Answer me when I call. How long shall my be honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Look at that. How long, O God, will you love vain words and lies? Or this summer, we'll meet Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This is the omniscient God. The God who knows everything from all time, in every detail. How long will you forget? Or in two summers, Psalm 22. 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far away from the words of my groaning? You get that, right? He can't even explain the turmoil going on in him. He can't give words. He doesn't understand what's going on in him. He's just groaning. And he feels like God is distant. Why are you so far from, I don't even know what this is. And this is what Habakkuk is teaching us. How do you respond to what you hate in our world? Well, how do you respond to what's going on in here that you can't even give words to? How do you get to 2-1 when you started at 1-1? I can't wait anymore. I'm so sick and tired of this delay. I'm so sick and tired of your distance from me. I'm so tired of looking at this world that's run by unjust men for their own gain as they oppress the people of this world. I'm so sick of it. How do you go from there to there? I'll take my stand and watch. We have to be honest with God. You have people in your life that you can do this with. A select very few, I hope. Somebody that you can go to and just pour out all of the filth with all of the four-letter words that are in there. Those kind of people that don't go, Christians shouldn't talk like that. It just lets you be honest and real. And how much more God in heaven How much more him who knows all of that already? How much more him who has proven faithful to all of these saints who came before us and said words that you'll never have the faith to say and God didn't strike them dead or tiss them down? He listened. He heard. And he answered. And he brought the peace that they were seeking such that they can say, I'll take my stand and watch. I'll look out for what you'll say to me. I'm even ready for your rebuke, oh God. Somebody like Job, who took days that ended up being chapters of an entire book of Job complaining. And God patiently bearing with his son. How much more us? I believe this is the need of our hour. The need of our day. Learning how to complain to God. Learning how to lament. Learning how to be honest as his children that he loves and has set his love upon from all time and for all time. To be real with our God. To not treat him like he is an idol that we have to tiptoe around and say the right thing all the time. But as if he's a father who has proven himself absolutely faithful and trustworthy to us. And so, brothers and sisters, you know, there's a ditch that you could drive into of going into blasphemy and saying things that you ought not to say to God, of course. That's true. But I think the far greater danger is us being pretentious, make-believe Christians, Barbie doll Christians. So that, that, that's what Habakkuk is teaching us. That's what he's teaching us. Waiting, lamenting, crying out. And, and you'll, you see, right, that God answers him. 
He doesn't leave him there. God answers him. He answers him twice. God comes to his beloved child, Habakkuk, who stands in for all of us and answers him twice. And it brings Habakkuk to a place of faith, of peace, of rest, trust. So Habakkuk is waiting. What is he waiting for? I'm waiting to see what he will say to me. Again, God will always speak to his children. He'll always speak to his church. He's waiting on God's word. In our day, so many believers are so wrapped up in the latest, greatest political conspiracy, all this stuff about the vaccine and masks. It's like we have so much more eagerness for those morsels than we do for the Word of God. We, we show so much more inclination to invest our heart in listening to these things. And if you're honest with yourself, do you at all have that kind of inclination and investment and emotion in the living, eternal word of our Lord? This is truth. We'll see what it is in a moment. This is eternally true and real and right. A foundation, it's sure, it's unmoving. And we just give ourselves to these other things. I'm not saying it's unimportant to be informed. I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn these things. But why do we go there first and most and most deeply? We know the word of God so little, so lightly. And yet we are absolute know-it-alls when it comes to a vaccine. Even though we can't even say the words that they're scientific usage, nor what they mean. We're so proud. I mean that in love, right? We are so proud. We think we know it all, but we won't give ourselves to the Word of God like this. And this is the need of the hour. To do off with hanging on every word that Trump says. So let go of all of these conspiracy theories that we know not nothing of and that they've proven wrong again and again and again. How many times do we have to listen to somebody who has said that this is going to happen on this date and it doesn't happen? How many times? We have to do off with all of those kind of things and give ourselves, stir ourselves up to stand in the tower waiting for the word of God. And in verses 2 and 3, he tells us the nature of his word. This is how kind God is. He comes to his children who are waiting for his word and first prepares them for what his word is going to be like. It's like an appetizer. He's generating in you a hunger by reminding you of what his word is like. 
The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. How does God speak to you? You want to know that? Isn't that a question for us as children? I want to hear God. I want to hear God's voice. How does he speak to me? We talk about having this personal relationship with God. And on earth, a personal relationship means presence. And it means speaking. You can't have a relationship with somebody that you're not conversing with intimately. And God is so committed to this kind of deep relationship with you that he spent his son to bring you to himself. And he means to speak to you. He means to communicate to you. How? Well, the main way, the sure way, is through his word. Scripture. I I know we've said this before, and I I don't want you to be let down by that answer. Okay. His word, the Bible, these 66 books... Are, are not like a history book, just recording what has happened in the past, but, but they're like a, a dissection. Like when you're looking at a dead animal on a cold slab, just trying to investigate. It, it's not like that kind of cold, lifeless thing. That's not what the Bible is. We sang it in the first song. It's living It's alive. It's as if God is speaking it to you. This is what the Bible is. It's it's real. It's present. God spoke these words through his prophets and apostles, and he continues to speak them to his church, especially in the preaching but also in your engaging with the Word in your small groups, in your neighborhood small groups, or in your family times where you gather around the Word and read a section, or in your own private devotions, or maybe as you listen to it on audio or on audible, God is still speaking. He is the living God who is still speaking to His people through His Word. Just as if you are Habakkuk. Receiving the word of the Lord. That's how God speaks to us through men like Habakkuk and Paul and John and Moses and David and all of them. Also, God does speak to you through other believers. In this week's or or this third session as we look into the third chapter of Life Together in, in our neighborhood small groups, It's the day with others. It's being with other believers who bring to you the word of God and that you need each other because you need others to bring God's word into your life because you just can't see what's going on in your own life. You need somebody else outside of it who loves you and knows you to bring the word of our Lord to you to help you, to maybe convict you of sin that you don't see or to 
comfort you where you have a sorrow, to help you make sense of something you can't make sense of. That's another way. We need each other. Sometimes God speaks to you through circumstances, doesn't he? Many of us say this, if God closes a door, he opens a window, or closes a window, he opens a door, or something like that. Things happen in your life. Things happen. Is that how Christians say it? Do things just happen? Isn't our Lord, as we've seen in this book itself, ordaining, working, everything, for what? For his glory and for our good. Everything. This world is filled with meaning. It all means something. It's all designed by God for his people. He is communicating. And what is he communicating through circumstances mostly? That I am God and there is no other. That I, the Lord, do things that you'll never, would have never done yourself to help you to know once again that I am God and you are not. And I am committed to my glory and everything I do will be for my glory. And I am committed to you and my son and everything I do is for you. Circumstances. And sometimes God does speak. He gives a sense to you internally, privately. But mostly here I want us to focus on the nature of his word. What is his word like? What is his word like? Well, he says, write the vision. This is one of the things that he told all of his prophets and apostles often is write it down. God's word is written. This is very kind of the Lord, isn't it? He has seen to it that his word, inspired to the prophets and apostles, is written down and preserved for his people because he loves them. Second, it's plain. Write it down, make it plain, so he may run who reads it. This is the reality that God has made his word clean, or clear, excuse me. Now, I know that some of you might go, I've read the Bible, and I wouldn't use the word clear to describe it. In fact, I'd, I'd use the word, like, unclear. It, it's difficult. Yes, 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 there are some difficult parts, and I know you like to spend time in those and debating what Revelation 20, 1 through 4 is about and the timing of Christ's return, and there's some unclear stuff there. Yes, 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 yes. But for the most part, right, you can read the Bible and understand it. It's plain. clear. And this is true for us specifically, his people. Why? Because he wrote it for us. He's made you alive by his spirit, indwelt you by his Holy Spirit, so that you can understand what he's saying. He, he didn't mean to hide. God's word is a revelation. It's an opening up, a making clear. It's not a we don't, we don't, Christianity is not a secret mystery religion like the others. All the other religions are secret mysteries that only a select few get to 
really understand or Christianity is founded on historical events that happened before everybody to see. It's public. God doesn't hide. So his word is written. It's breathed out by him. He's the origin of it. It's plain. It's clear. It's not a secret. Then in verse 3, or uh, yeah, verse 3, it will not lie. It's true. It is truth itself. In a day, my biggest internal struggle in the last year is it doesn't appear to me that I can trust news. (laughs) I can't trust them, conservative or liberal. I don't trust them because they don't tell the truth. They tell what they know their readers and listeners want to hear. That's the motivation for most media today. To figure out what their select group of conservative, far-right Republicans want to hear and give it to them and give it to them in such a way that it constantly keeps you stirred up. And I'm so sick of it. I'm done with them. I don't want to listen to them anymore because I don't need to hear more of what I want to hear. I don't need them to serve me up Twinkies all the time. I want the truth. And when you come to God's word, that's all you'll get. Always. It will never lie to you. It will never prove false. You'll never be disappointed here. You'll never figure out later that when they said that Trump will actually be in power on such and such a day, oh, no, no, wait, 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 there was other things. Now it's on this day. Oh, wait, wait, now now there's other things. No, it's on this day. And you're constantly disappointed. The Bible will never, ever, ever do that to you. Why? Because I, the Lord, do not lie. Because God knows all things from all time. And then, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. One way to think of this is God's word is potent. It is always accomplished. Even if it seems to take a while. So it seems to take a while in our, from our viewpoint. But from God's viewpoint, it all, his word is always fulfilled at the right time. At the perfect time. So parents, fathers, mothers, the thing your children need more than anything from you is the example of a father and mother who read the Bible, who attend church faithfully and give themselves attentively to the preaching of it. You know, that, that, that's, that's what your kids need more than anything. And then for you to open up the Bible at home and read it with them. That's it. Why? Because God's word is written. It's plain. It's true. And it's powerful. That's what they need. That's what you need. All right, verse 4. Which I haven't left myself much time for. There are two kinds of people who respond to God's word, those of pride and those of faith. 
And this is where I would ask you to consider which of those you are. We see this contrast throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end. The people of God and the people of the world. The people of Cain, according to the flesh, who go their own way and do their own thing pridefully. Or the people of Abel and Seth who seek the Lord and humble themselves before God, who have sin, but bring it to the Lord and are repentant. Right? The people of the world who go on in their folly and are drowned in a worldwide flood are the people of Noah who heed the word of the Lord and take refuge on his ark. It's the people of Israel who give heed to God's word and put the blood on their posts and make it through the destroying angel and those who perish. It's the people of Christ his church who put their hope in Christ and make it through the judgment until glory and the people of the world who will call on the mountains to fall on them out of the terror of the coming of the Lord. This is the vision of the Bible from the beginning to end, the righteous and the wicked, those of faith and those of unbelief, those who heed God's word and those who pridefully continue on listening to themselves and to the world. That's it. So we see this contrast. Now the language of the proud here, the soul is puffed up literally, the one who lifts himself up. The one who gives himself over to his own thinking, to his own evaluation of life, who lives in his head for his own purposes and pleasures because his soul is not upright within him. His heart is sick in sin. He cannot get over himself. His world is as big as his mind. Or, the righteous shall live by his faith. Notice how complicated the first half of verse 4 is. Soul is puff up, not upright with him. It's turmoil, it's confusion, it's... And then how simple the last part is. The righteous just live by his faith. The righteous live by faith. They have life. The soul of the one puffed up is not upright within him. Verse 5, he's arrogant, a man never at rest. Greed is why to shield like death, he never has enough. He gathers all nature, collects his own people. He, he goes down into death, untranquil, can't find peace. But the righteous live by faith. Now this verse in Habakkuk 2.4 is used in the New Testament to give us the central reality of our salvation. Paul says in Romans 1.17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Or in Galatians 3.11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by his faith. This is answering the question of how can you find life in God? How can you be justified before God? This is where doctrine and living life are, are so intertwined. You have to start with this doctrine. How can you approach God? 
How can you fall in an Adam? How can you, in all of your sin, come before a holy God? The one thing we will not endure in our day is the thinking that you are a sinner, that you do bad things and are bad. The reason that you do bad things is because you're bad. The reason that you're impure or do impure things is because your heart is impure, fundamentally. We won't truck with that. And so we have no need for his grace. Now, Christians can become particularly susceptible to thinking ourselves better than because we look down on Black Lives Matter, the elites, the Dems, and see all of their wickedness and kind of get in the thinking of, I'm, I'm a bit better. Thank God I'm not like Nancy Pelosi. Thank God I'm not like Pink. Right, there's my current cultural reference for those of you who want me to be cool. But so Christians can get prideful. Because you compare yourself with things that are easy to see how much better than you are. You are than them. But not us. It's very easy for us to subtly become so prideful and puff up that we neglect to see ourselves before a holy God, not in comparison to another person. The reality is, you have no more access to God in yourself than Madonna, for those of you in that era. The great need in the church today is for the Holy Spirit to convince us that we are depraved so that then we can turn to God by faith and be gifted the righteousness of Christ. This is particularly, particularly true of raising kids in a Christian home. Because typically, the way that you raise your kids is going to be better than how the world raises their kids generally. We hope to spare our children from a lot of the things that you endured. We don't want them to have a testimony of living on steroid, hell-like existence and then having this miraculous conversion. We want them to have the kind of testimony that goes, I was raised in a Christian home and I was a pretty good kid and I realized my sin and I need Jesus. But there can be a pride associated with that of neglecting who they are by nature in Adam. And so them seeing their desperate need for Christ. Because only when you, in your bones, realize how ugly and gross and terrible your sin is before a holy God and how you deserve, you get nothing from him but wrath unless you come to Christ. Faith attaches itself to Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You have nothing to bring to God. And so what God does is he takes all of your sin places it on Christ. Christ dies and makes an end of it all. 
And then he places all of Christ's righteousness, his perfect life, and credits it to you. And this verse is talking about that transaction. The first place we see this verse is in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham, coming to God. God makes a promise pointing to Christ, and Abraham says, I believe it. And God credits to him righteousness based on that faith. And that's what this is talking about. How do we live in this world? By faith in Christ. How do you make sense of what's going on? By faith in Christ. But notice, the righteous shall live by his faith. It doesn't say the righteous shall be made alive by his faith. Past tense. It's present with ongoing future. It's the way that you live is by faith in this God. How will you live with HR5 coming down the pipe, with, with this legislation coming that takes the civil rights legislation of the 60s and, and applies it to LGBTQ everything? How will you get a job? How will you endure by faith in the living God? This faith is how we live. Habakkuk was in a hard place. His nation was failing. The people of his nation had turned from the living God. And God had appointed a more terrible nation to discipline them. Does that sound familiar? We are not Israel. I'm not saying that. But the parallels are striking to our day. And what does God tell Habakkuk of the way to live in that day? By faith. That's it. Trust me. Look to my word. Trust me. Is that too simple for you? Know me. Look to me. Trust me. Don't don't give yourself to alcohol. Don't, don't give yourself to watching movies all the time. Don't give yourself to shopping. The only way to satisfy what your soul needs is trust God. Know him in his word. Can I make it really practical for you? One of the foremost first commands in the Bible is to marry and have children and build a home. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's not good that Adam is alone. Here's Eve. Make a bunch of little ones. Build a home. Why? They lived in a garden with wasteland all around them. Prospects were not good. It's going to be a lot of work. And the first work God gives his people is always family, marriage, children, raising the children of the Lord. You know what that will take? Faith. I don't think there's anything greater we can do in this day than having faith in God to marry another Christian and have other children and raise them to love the Lord and love his church. Because we have faith in God. 
That's what we do. All right, let's pray. Father, I feel inadequate for this text and for the glory of it, the expansiveness of it, the need to bring it down to our level. And so, God, would, your, would you, by your Holy Spirit, have mercy on us to bring this text home to us, to, that we might take it with and live it, and, and in little ways, not, not planning big things, just little ways. And so, God, help us to humble ourselves before you, to turn from competing voices and just have faith in you and your word, and to live that, to be content there. And so, God, please minister to this us, especially as we live in a world that we are increasingly um, frustrated with, angry at, sick of, scared for. God, may we raise our complaints to you, and may you then give us faith and peace to turn to you in your word, and that, that that might be enough with your people. And so, God, please bring this home to us. In Jesus' name, amen.